Welcome to an episode of Disability Inclusion Insights on the AbilityNet podcast. I am your host, Lizzie Green, Digital Inclusion Consultant at AbilityNet. By providing training, support and resources, we want to help address the disability employment gap and support workplaces to become more accessible and inclusive for all. Join me and my co-host and colleague, Adam Tweed, on this series where we interview leaders in the workplace disability inclusion from across industries and around the world. You can download a transcript of the session from the AbilityNet website at www.abilitynet.org.uk slash podcast. Sit back, grab your favourite beverage and let's get started. Today, you'll be listening to a conversation with my guest, Maria Grazia Zeda, Senior Equality and Diversity and Inclusion Manager at HS2, High Speed 2. Maria tells us about the things that they have been doing at HS2 and also shares some of her own personal experiences with us. Welcome, everyone, to Disability Inclusion Insights podcast. Uh, My name is Lizzie Green. I am the Digital Inclusion Consultant at AbilityNet. And I'm joined today by uh, my colleague, Adam Tweed from AbilityNet. And we are delighted to be joined today by Maria Grazia Zeda, who's the Senior Quality and Diversity Inclusion Manager for Workforce at HS2. So welcome, Maria. Thank you very much for having me. No, it's great to have you with us today. So uh, we're going to kick off with a bit of a, an icebreaker question. So firstly, um, what have you chosen today as your hot or cold beverage? It is a hot beverage, beverage and it's black coffee. <laughs> black coffee. As you can probably tell by my Italian accent, I, I really love coffee. Uh, I'm a walking cliche when it comes to coffee. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, so that's my uh, beverage of choice. Great. And, and I'm, I'm proper pressed coffee, I, I take it. <laughs> I am, I'll keep up the English stereotype then, and I am drinking a, a hot beverage of a cup of tea. Controversially, it is biscuit flavoured tea, um, <laughs> which is uh, quite controversial around uh, everyone in our office, but I like it. <laughs> Adam, what about you? What are you on today? <laughs> I, I will always go black coffee as well. Yeah. Yep, um, great. Yeah. Yes. Could you tell us, Maria, a little bit about HS2 for those who aren't aware of what you do? Okay, so HS2 is High Speed 2. and We are building the largest infrastructure project in Europe. And essentially, uh, we are building it over the next 10 to 15 years. And this essentially will help connect the United Kingdom particularly uh, Birmingham with London and the north of the country with Manchester um, leading up all the way to Scotland. And so these will help um, not just with speed, but actually it is essential to free up capacity in transport, um, which is so overcrowded, especially in London, and uh, it will free up capacity for transport and be a much greener alternative to transport than we have at the moment. So um, we are building, uh, you know, many brand new stations that 
I have not been built since the 1800s. And, and these will in turn help with the local economies and in those localities with thousands of, um, of employment opportunities. So at the moment we are, um, HS2 itself is employing around about 1,700 people. But through the wider supply chain, we are currently employing 34,000 people. So that's HS2, and I am delighted and proud to be working as a quality, diversity, and inclusion manager, making sure that um, we can really foster an inclusive workplace so that we can make this project really diverse and really safe. Yes. Okay, so into our first question uh, today, which is actually a bit of a double question that we're starting you off with. Um, so we wanted to talk about why you think it's important to employ disabled people. And if you could tell us a little bit about what HS2 is doing to actively employ disabled people. Okay, so um, it is clearly important to employ disabled people. I am one of them. I am severely deaf myself. I have severe hearing loss, which I acquired as a child. And um, and so um, having grown up, you know, uh, having a childhood where, you know, back in Italy where, you know, very much my disability, my deafness was seen as something that uh, was almost non uh, you know, it was very medicalized. Um, disability was seen as really something wrong um, with the person. Um, I was considered a, a patient, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so for me, on a personal level, it's really incredibly important to employ disabled people because we are part of... Um, why the diversity was simply part of humanity. And so, of course, it's important to include us and uh, morally, but also we have a legislation that obviously states that um, disabled people have, uh, you know, a right to access um, to, uh, to society and to employment, just like everyone else. So, of course, it's important. Um, and in terms of what we're doing, so for background, I am a senior equality, diversity and inclusion manager at High Speed 2. And my remit specifically is around supporting the organization um, around equality, diversity and inclusion for the workforce, as well as helping out on equality, diversity, and inclusion issues for the communities along the route. Yeah. Uh, so I I have two sides to my role, yep. which are very enjoyable, uh, really good, because they make me feel like I, am, I can make a difference for others. Very fulfilling job that I have, I've had for about five years now. Um, and so in terms of what we do to actively employ disabled people, we um, have a number of things that we do. 
Well, I'd like to say that I'm going to talk about to talk about them, but they they are important for everyone, not just disabled people. So, for example, one of the, one of the things that we do is to make sure that our job descriptions and our job adverts are sort of inverted commas EDI checked, yep. and that means that we really make sure that the language that we use is inclusive and we make sure that we also advertise when we advertise we request for a minimum criteria of the job we don't put desirable criteria because that risks um, you know alienating those people who might might feel that in an ideal world, they don't feel that they can fulfill that brief and therefore might talk themselves out from applying. Yeah. And this happens a lot, especially in very technical industries such as engineering, constructions. Um, it's very easy to sort of be so specific, um, especially for hiring managers. Often there is a bit of bias that we operate against um, around the fact that many people think that their career path of the people that they're hiring needs to be very similar to their own career path. Therefore, you know, where did you go to university? Or how many years experience have you had in X, Y, Z competency and so on? And so what we try to do with our job checks is to job advert and and job description is to really make sure that we don't add anything in there that unless it's absolutely necessary. And we don't require for a specific number of years of experience or we don't even require for master's degrees and so on as much as we can, unless it is a very, very specific requirement that can be related to maybe health and safety. Yeah. for example, and that's why it's unavoidable. But as far as possible, we really try to avoid having too many uh, competencies because research shows that ethnic minority, women, disabled people, if they see a hugely long um, criteria in the job description, they tend to talk themselves out of it. And they tend to not apply for jobs unless they they can fulfil maybe. Overnight. I think it's really um, it's it's really kind of it's one of those things where you you do as a hiring manager start listing absolutely everything, but you there is that importance of being able to see it from an applicant's point of view who is perhaps kind of primed to that point of of being so used to a job not being for them that the moment they see one of those categories it's it is as you say that they they would just discount themselves completely that at that point they'll say this isn't for me because they were tinted, they were kind of teetering on that brink anyway that's it's a really good point absolutely absolutely so that is hugely important and it doesn't just help disabled people it helps everyone yeah um, it absolutely. really helps widen the reach because especially with uh, in our industries where HS2 uh, operates, in which HS2 operates, such as, you know, construction, engineering, 
um, you know, very technical uh, field. Um, it's very easy for people to talk themselves out of that. And also, but we, we have a, a huge need because over the next, um, you know, we are building HS2 now and it will continue on for, for the next 10, 15 years. During that time, many of the people that are currently working in these areas, generally in engineering and construction, they will begin to retire. Yeah. So if we don't start to diversify the talent pool that we're trying to access, we really won't be delivering HS2 or any other major infrastructure project because we really need to seek out that diverse talent that is out there. And we really need to diversify in terms of the transferable skills, for example, that we are asking. I think it's it's interesting you brought up retirement there as well, because obviously we have an aging workforce and we know that disability is often acquired. So by building these kind of environments that can flex, that can accommodate people with differing needs, then I suppose that's almost that will that will allow you to, to keep your workforce longer, to not lose that kind of skill set. Absolutely. It's really important. So we are encouraging our you know, aging workforce to retire. But I have to tell you, especially in in um, in engineering and construction, that is the majority of the workforce, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that we, we really need more diversity, more. And, and that's why it is so important to pay attention to this. Um, um, and without that diversity, we will not be able to make up for the shortfall. Yeah. So it's so important. Um, and then in addition to making sure that the job adverse are checked, what we do is we make sure that our interviews are structured and we request accessibility information in advance of setting up interviews. So every candidate will have an opportunity to share if they have any accessibility needs or any other accommodation needs for that matter. It could be, you know, if you have childcare responsibilities and you can't do interviews at 3 p.m., we will reschedule it. So that's really important. And then we also work with um, allies in the business that help us reach out to um, diverse candidates and disabled candidates. One of them, for example, is Even Break. Yeah. They are a jobs board, and we work quite closely with them to, and they literally replicate all our job adverts yeah. on their site so that they can, you know, share their vacancies with their audience, which is really important. Uh, our own jobs website is audited for accessibility every year. So we make sure that the communication is actually accessible and um, and then finally overall every hiring manager every team leader receives inclusive recruitment training so that means that should anyone have access needs during the recruitment stage and onboarding as well we always we have people who are prepared, people who 
will ask the right questions, people who will expect um, that diversity of needs coming through. That's absolutely fantastic because, yeah, awareness is, is the key and often something that, that pops up all the time is people's awareness of things. So, yeah, the fact that you offer that training is is brilliant. Um, so the next question I wanted to ask you was, um, what's the role of uh, technology in driving your disability inclusion? Well, it, it is incredibly important Um because essentially we are now living in a hybrid world. We are operating and working in a hybrid world, which is made up of built environment and, and virtual environment too. And so the tra- technology is absolutely essential for it. And so the accessibility of technology enables access to people who would otherwise traditionally not be considering certain jobs, for example, such as, you know, myself. Um, Before the pandemic, for example, I had to um, pre-book my captioning service, for example. Um, It required a minimum of 24 hours to 48 hours notice. And and therefore, that will be incredibly challenging, especially now because I'm literally having back-to-back meetings mm-hmm. and I'm called into meetings at the last minute. And as a deaf person, if I was not able to access the automated caption technology, for example, I would quickly lose my confidence and I would quickly lose my ability to do the job. Um. So technology is so important um, and not just for disabled people. I, I like to always say, remember that this is not just about disability, but it's about everybody else. Um, accessibility and inclusion help everyone. So, for example, parents who have childcare responsibilities, uh, you know, or other people who are carers themselves, who also are protected under the Equality Act by association. And so um, by using enabling technology, we can include everyone. However, we do need to keep an eye on it because it is ever-evolving. That is in the challenge. So we need to really make sure that the technology is working, and with every update that you get, sometimes there are malfunctions, there are issues and challenges, and um, and so yes, um, it is beneficial, but I think it's really important that we are you know really alert to the fact that it needs constant attention. Yeah, absolutely, and that leads me quite nicely into another question that I had. So um, what impact has the pandemic had on your ways of working? So are things very different today to say how they were three years ago, talking about hybrid working? Obviously, the answer is probably going to be, yes, they are quite different. But in what ways have you seen those um, those changes? Uh, the changes are immense. I mean, um, obviously, the pandemic impacted in the sense that uh, 
with regards to office space work, it impacted because we were having virtual meetings. And so we needed to be familiar with the technology. And we also had security issues. So we couldn't use uh, a, a certain uh, a variety of, of methodologies. Um, so that has been, you know, work in progress. It's been... Um, it's been something that we, we needed to to pay attention to because not all programs or software uh, are accessible to our systems because we have very stringent security measures. So, for example, that could impact, let's say, that one of my colleagues needs a specific type of software to help them with reading or writing. Sometimes we, we, we cannot just order any type of software, we really have to always double check with our IT teams to make sure that it is compatible with the security uh, that we need to have it to. So it's always, you know, it's a, it's an ena- technology is, is incredibly enabling, but it's always work in progress. And um, and even now, with all the new updates that we are getting, um, sometimes you get the occasional hiccup and things don't work anymore and you have to go back to back to base and work it all out. And so it is a challenge. And in the meantime, especially in a job like mine, where in, in an industry like mine where everything is project-based and deadlines are really pressing, because they involve huge amount of cost, mm-hmm. so it's that's why it's so so important to keep an eye on the technology so there are no delays. Yeah, absolutely. And then also on on site as well, it, it's really amazing because we can we can automate many processes. We can use artificial intelligence. We can use um, many many innovations that help us be safer greener as well. So technology has a massive impact on, on the work we do, yes. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to ask on, on that one, your use of um, captionings, have you found that because of the pandemic and the amount of people um, offering them that they've improved? Because quite often there are some uh, slang words that have been used for for the quality of captions that I'm not going to mention here, <laughs> but they weren't traditionally seen as particularly effective. So, so do you think that they've improved? Um, I think they have hugely improved, um, especially from the start of the pandemic. At first, um, it was very much up to the, let's say, the conference or the event owner mm-hmm. to set them up. So for me, as a deaf person, I would feel sometimes, well, these are not people that I know. Uh, I want to be able to choose for myself whether to share that I am deaf or not. And by not having that choice, it was really difficult at times. Um, So it's recently improved in terms of ownership and the independence that it allows people to toggle them on or off. And definitely the more you use them, 
the more accurate they are. And I have to say that in my experience, because I use the captioning literally eight, nine hours a day, in my experience, it is surpassing the services provided by real people. Okay. Um, and I don't mean it in a way that is discouraging because I think there is a time and a place for using those skills given by real people. But in the in a in a job like mine, where, where I'm often called into meetings uh, at very short notice, as, um, especially with the quality, diversity, and inclusion, if there are people who are dealing with issues that can be very upsetting, or um, you know, they they really need their attention right there and then, and I would not be able to help if I didn't have access to this amazing technology. Um, some of the funny bits were in the past, you will get, for example, um, any profanity will be automatically um, edited out, <laughs> which was funny. Uh, but now I, I can see that we have a choice whether to toggle it on or off, which is yeah. hugely entertaining for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's brilliant. And I think as well, from from perspective of what you were saying about AI, is if you were going into one of those meetings, like you say, you, you encompass in your role, someone might feel more comfortable talking to you about a sensitive topic if you're using AI rather than if there was another person, albeit they might not be able to see that person and they were just there to do a role. It would still be another person that they didn't know who was listening to what they were saying. So um, it's quite it's quite nice that you don't have to explain that to someone anymore. You just turn on yeah, your... No, no, absolutely, absolutely. But... I mean, what I have learned is, uh, I have learned personally, just because it helps me on an individual level, I normally I do try to say, unless the people know me already, I do try to say that I am deaf at the start of the conversation. Um, I have a little bit of hearing, but it's so minimal that I really feel more comfortable in sharing the fact that I am severely deaf and um, and also because sometimes it can lead to misunderstanding. Yeah. Also, I try to say to see the funny side of it as well. Um, there sometimes one of the the most hilarious experiences are when the captioning are interpreting people's names, <laughs> and um, and so really strange, really interesting variations of names <laughs> have come across on my captioning. Absolutely. Which I, I shared, which I yeah. shared. Oh, yeah, no, definitely need to share those, yeah. Absolutely, and it's, it's, it's very funny and entertaining. I think it brings a bit of, you know, a sense of humanity. Uh, yeah. we, we are people after all, and we should be able to talk comfortably about this stuff. So, so yeah, I, I literally could not do my job without captioning. And so I am extremely grateful that they exist. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing. So my next question is, um, have you faced any barriers when planning and implementing change or improvements to disability inclusion at HS2? And if so, what were those barriers and how did you work as an organisation to overcome them? Hmm. Well, I mean, there are barriers all the time. 
because we we live and operate in an imperfect world that has been built with no disability, no disabled people in mind. So all our virtual environments, all our built environments, uh, especially pre-existing ones, have challenges. And and we should never sit back thinking, oh, yes, uh, we are accessible 100% now, and that's it, job done. Absolutely not, because somebody else might come along and find that your accessible building or accessible environment is actually inaccessible to them. And we really need to get it into our sort of um, mindset that we need to think about accessibility as always a work in progress. And we should not be surprised at having to implement changes all the time. And just take it, rather than being too frustrated, just really try to take it in our stride. Mind you, this, this sort of mindset has been work in progress for me. I mean, it's not been easy. Um, uh, one of the frustrations I remember that I used to experience a lot was, for example, um, let's say I would be in a virtual meeting and somebody wants to share the whiteboard, the virtual whiteboard. One of the things that I experienced at the beginning of the pandemic was that the moment people started to share the whiteboard, I couldn't see the captioning anymore. And so it was something that was later on fixed, but it took a number of months. And in the meantime, that brings lots of issues. So as a disabled person, for example, what do I do? Do I quietly leave and say nothing? Or do I challenge it's really hard sometimes to navigate this stuff because you're walking a very fine line between advocating for others and advocating for yourself and wanting to cause a fuss. So it's just uh, a bit of a balancing act. And my job, I'm lucky because in my job, if I ad- advocate for myself, I know that I'm advoca- advocating for others too. Yeah. yeah. But we need, think, to, we need to know that not every disabled employee has this, this thing to fall back on. Yeah. And so we should just really bear in mind, let's remember that not everybody might be accessing these environments in the same way we are. Then just be open. So the think- will always be there. What you were saying there about being an advocate, it's, for one thing, it's tiring. It's tiring always being that person who's having to bring that up. And it's also one of the things that you kind of feel like you have to be in a a more senior position to be able to challenge people who are on that level. And I know you you were listed in the Power 100, weren't you? And, And you've kind of got that kudos that comes with you to be able to say, yeah, I, I need this fixed. But there are maybe more junior people who aren't that confident, who don't want to speak up, who don't, you know, they, they shouldn't need to really. But it's it's one of those that advocacy is tiring and that constant reminder of people, look, it's me again, I need this to be better. Um, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, I agree. Um, the only way that you, we can achieve this um, as employers is to really make sure that we have a culture 
that really enables people, that really encourages people to share that they have accessibility needs and they are not making a fuss. Yeah. So part of creating a culture, and there is no over, overnight switch, overnight magic that makes it happen. It takes a lot of gradual building. Um, so, for example, at HS2, one of the things that we do is we have our staff networks and, you know, we have them for all protected characteristics, but we have this specifically the Together Network, which is a network of disabled colleagues and allies. Yeah. And so that they help a lot with reviewing things for us, um, you know, almost providing like a focus group and feedback and um, and also a, a, an ally place where people can go to share, you know, frustration and ask for advice. So even if you are more junior, having that comfort of going in a, in a virtual team where people understand you, they get you, and they don't judge you. I think yeah. it's hugely important. Oh, massively. Um, and, um, and then aside, aside of, the, of the networks, and we have to be very careful here because these are colleagues that are doing all of this volunteering in addition to their day job. So we cannot expect them to create all of that culture for us. So we also need to take the initiative and really collaborate with communication teams, really strive with human resources, everyone who participates in communication, IT, make sure that we link, always link back to our company values and just make sure, just make all those links and, and, um, and, encourage communication around accessibility and disability so that it does not become an out-of-the-ordinary thing, but it is very much embedded in the everyday stuff. Yeah, and that leads me really nicely into the next question. So when it comes to your employees, are there any areas specifically that you still want to make improvements on for further inclusion to make sure that you're reaching every candidate? Um, well, I mean, one of the things that um, often it is difficult to manage is to accommodate specific requests for um, certain, so the, the, there can be software, specific software or other stuff that is um, sometimes uh, difficult from a security setting. We cannot use a specific software and we have to try a different kind. So that back and forth negotiation sometimes can be quite painful. Yeah. And um, I wish we could just make it happen straight away. And it's not always possible. But there's, there is a lot of room for improvement there. We really need to get better at that. And then sometimes even... You know, some of our offices, um, they they can, you know, that you would have thought that they would be accessible by sometimes something comes up, you know, someone new comes along, um, you realize, oh, my gosh, uh, there is a new issue that might not have been picked up by an ordinary access audit. And so we need to make adjustments 
for that individual specifically, which is which is important to do. So sometimes adjustments um, can it can be frustrating in terms of the timing and the effort to implement. Yeah. But we cannot give up. We just have to keep trying, and 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 also think that when we are when we have learned about accommodating what specific adjustment need, then we know that is a powerful lesson for somebody else yeah. later on. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it was what you were saying earlier is accessibility is a journey. It's you're never going to reach that end point. You're never going to be totally accessible for everybody. And, and yeah, that's a really great point. Fantastic. And then my last question. So this one's a bit of a challenge for you. I'll leave you a few words either way. Um, So using no more than 10 words, I'll maybe give you a few extra words if you want. Um, Can you summarize one piece of advice or a tip that you have learned um, since working on and creating disability inclusive workplace? Your top tip. Thank you for that. I have chosen my 10 words. Fantastic. And that should be, be confident about your access needs. Disability is simply diversity. Brilliant. Amazing. <laughs> That's you, the, right? you, you have set the gauntlet now for the rest of our guests to come on to get 10 words exactly and to um, make them as good as those 10 words. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, that just leaves me to say thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Maria. Your insights have been fantastic. Um, really, really appreciate as well you sharing your your own story and your um, your own journey. So thank you so much. Thank you for asking me, and it's been a pleasure. I've always been a fan of um, AbilityNet and the work that you've done over the years. Um, and um, and actually. Um, we will probably be needing your help supporting us <laughs> with making adjustments for our workforce. So I really look forward to be working with you more and more. Thank you Fantastic. for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. We will be thank delighted you. to help you too. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of AbilityNet's Disability Inclusion Insights. If you're not sure where you are with your disability inclusion at your organisation, you can find out with AbilityNet's Disability Inclusion Gap Analysis. Our expert workplace consultants will help you gauge your organisation's current cultural state and work with you to prioritise which improvements will have the greatest immediate impact and which will help form a roadmap for your ongoing disability inclusion journey. Get started on your journey today by booking a free 15 minutes consultation at www.abilitynet.org.uk slash gap analysis. Thanks again for tuning in and uh, more discussions around disability inclusion will be coming soon.